0: What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we are talking hardcore. You know what's up. Also, just want to let everyone know, I was on the This Is Hardcore podcast with Joe Hardcore. Uh, The podcast came out last Friday, and you can listen to it wherever you listen to 185 Miles South. It's in all the same feeds, so check that out. It was fun to sit down with him because I love his podcast. And uh, yeah, man, this is not a competition. I listen to... A ton of hardcore podcasts, you know, like uh, that. This is hardcore podcast is great. I listen to the where it went podcast, which is uh, a journey through the Revelation records catalog. You got to check that out. I listen to the form of passion podcast. Ace does a great job over there. Some serious interviews. He does his homework. That's what's up. Uh, there's a newer uh, podcast from like this based on the blackout records catalog called mad at the world which is insanely good if you love all that stuff. Uh, I listen to the Smoking Word. That's Hoyas podcast. I listen to the Post America podcast. And, uh, yeah, Neanderthal Society, that's a new podcast, is good. And I listen to Scoped Exposure, too. I listen to a bunch more. I don't have uh, my phone right now to be able to tell you everything. But that's what's up. This week on the pod, we're uh, we're doing questions. Then I'm bringing on Matt Henderson. I got a quick, quick couple questions for him. I'll do a long-form interview at one point, but I've had a couple that I wanted to get out the gate. So that's on here. And then we're answering your questions. So some listener-submitted questions. We'll do about an hour of that, and then we'll take the rest on uh, Patreon. So that's what's up. If you want to help out the podcast, you can subscribe to it wherever you listen to it. Also, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please like it, rate it, review it. I do not know why that matters, but it does. So it matters to me. Also, on the website... 185 miles you can see all our links for social media also there is a playlist for every episode so check that out you can listen to the songs that we talk about the bands we talk about all that and while you're there smash that patreon button the Patreons are the people that keep this podcast alive i love them to a person i know who you are i love you so what's up let's do this vocal test
1: karaoke
0: Jeff from Skullcrack.
1: 185 miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast.
0: Introducing first, The Challenger, fighting out of the hard corner. From St. Helena, California, by way of Buffalo, New York. Many have tried to stump him. He denied their vision. Blessed with the voice of Bruce, the attitude of Paul, and the spirit of Blaze, it's Jeremy D. Smith! And his opponent, fighting out of the core corner, from parts unknown, weight unknown, Reason he didn't pick Minor Threat in the Straight Edge Super Seven, unknown. It is the reigning, defending, undisputed 185 miles south trivia champion of the world, Daniel. These questions are too easy. Sand. All right, the first question goes to Jeremy. Jeremy, in 1988 bad religion released their comeback album suffer what is the very next album they released the following year
2: uh after suffer would have been
0: no control a point to jeremy what's up
1: all right Dan. i would have said uh against the grain so i'm glad that didn't
0: come to me there you go what's up you gotta know the three dude those are the best three yeah for real yeah that's
1: they are (sighs) Suffer I forget no about no control. Cause I always think I, I my three are suffer against the grain and generator.
0: Okay. Well, I, really good, but like the, I don't know the, it, the sound changes. It gets like that big recording.
1: Yeah. But I love the sound of heaven falling.
0: Well, I love that. <laughs> song. I love song.
3: <laughs> the sound changes because the studio changes. West speech recorders moves a couple blocks away to a completely different building. For um Generator. I learned that from reading the book. A point
0: to Ben. <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's, let's give him 1.5 points.
0: Oh, man. Always. And that's that's <laughs> no points for me anytime he get mentioned. All right. Dan, let's go to you. Uh, in 1989, RKL re-released their first 7-inch LP on a German label called Destiny Records. What notable record label owner is depicted being harmed on the front cover. Doug Moody. A point to the champ.
1: See, I thought this was going in like the RKL thing, and then I thought it was gonna be what is the temperature in Dusseldorf, Germany, right now?
0: <laughs> I ran out of gag questions, dude. I gotta I gotta spend some time brainstorming. Okay. <laughs> so hey, you're off the hook. All right, we go back to Jeremy for round number two. Jeremy, in the agnostic front song Last Warning, if you disregard said warning, what will you wind up with?
2: You know, I love that song, but I have no idea what the words are because it's like this here, last warning.
0: I have no idea. We go to Daniel. Hey, these lyric ones are hard. I think I'm going to cut them all. They're really
1: hard when you're put on the spot, but I'm going to say Jeremy and the person who avoids their last warning is going to be left
0: with regret. Point to the champ. What's up? All right. And Dan, we go to you for your round (laughs) two.
1: And I'm sorry, Jeremy. I listened to that today. So it was in my mind because uh, we just did the NYHC. um, I mean... Way back in the past. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I was listening to the NYHC playlist from our awesome Super 7 playlist from back in the day.
0: That's what's up, dude. Never gets old. Yep. All right. That was a killer playlist. So respect Daniel on the shout out. Everyone check 185milesouth.com. Click that playlist link. There is a playlist for every episode. And Dan, let's go to your question number two. True or false? There is a snake. On the cover of Blitz, Voice of a Generation.
1: True, because it's coming out of the skull eye, I think.
0: We go to Jeremy for the possible steal. What? Jeremy, (laughs) true or false, there is a snake on the cover of the Blitz, Voice of a Generation LP. I believe there's no snake. A point to Jeremy. Coming through with a steal on the champ. Dan, I wrote that question because I always thought there was a snake, and I looked at the album cover, I was like, Oh my God! It's there's no snake. What the fuck?
1: I thought it was a snake wrapping through the skull and coming out the eye. I can see it's it a banner, eyes. isn't it a banner?
0: Yeah, it's like a little banner. Yeah, ah!
1: <laughs>
0: it's wild. One of
1: my favorite records ever.
0: I know. Now you know you're fucked. I always thought he had like a snake in his mouth. I did too. You know, that's
2: it's like that raw deal demo cover where it's like the poker guy hang, handing out the Joker my entire life i thought it was a slice of pizza with like the noid on top of it (laughs) (laughs) there you go until like three years ago it's like holy shit it's not the noid
0: (laughs) yeah but now you've seen it well
2: now
1: now that's a new question coming up for (laughs) someone which came first the noid or the raw deal demo
0: (laughs) dude you know that is right in my lane what's up i know it is (laughs) all right jeremy go back to you true or false on the back cover of Killing Time, Brightside, all members are wearing at least one piece of denim. I'm gonna say false. We go to Dan for the possible steal. Oh. Dan, true or false? On the back cover of Killing Time, Brightside, all members are wearing at least one piece of denim.
1: Come on, you know, you know, they're hard. They got to be in that rough. That rough uh, acid wash denim, yes,
0: true. Point to Daniel. <laughs> Epic steel. All right, Dan. <laughs> year round number three. Which came first, the American Nightmare LP bra- background music, or the caramel frappuccino at Starbucks?
1: Well, I'm. You know what? I'm trying to place what job I had at the time, and like you know when you do the coffee runs because that was my jam. The caramel frappuccino. So I'm going to say the caramel frappuccino came first.
0: Point to the champ. The frappuccino. The caramel frappuccino. 1999. American Nightmare LP. 2001.
1: Because I had a job at this law firm before background music came out, and we used to make Starbucks runs all the time. So
0: I actually worked. At, I worked at Starbucks in the year 2000, and the only two frappuccinos we had. Were, oh no, we have three, right? Because you mocha. Had there was coffee.
1: mocha. Yeah, regular, coffee, mocha.
0: And thank you, Daniel.
1: Okay, all right. And I just want go. to get that extra point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right on. Okay, we go to Jeremy for round four. Jeremy, the band judge wants this famous New York recording studio to perform fallatio. <laughs> uh, what is Chung King Studios? A point to Jeremy. All right.
3: I like how you did it in the form of a question, Jeopardy style. Not necessary, <laughs> but you still get that point.
0: Yeah. That's true. That's true. See, Dan, that was the time to hit with that 1.5 joke. <laughs> Jeremy should have got 1.5 for doing it in the form of a question. What's up? All right, Dan, we go to you. Your question number four. This pre terror Scott Vogel band put out a CD called 1000 Cries on Trustkill Records in 1996.
1: 1000 cries is uh, now you've got me second guessing between the two Vogel bands. Oh my God. Uh, it has. Well, and this is right in his wheelhouse Buffalo. style yep. central, But if I'm going 1000 cries, it has to be despair because of the, the more emotional connotation of the, uh, of the title.
0: It's buried alive's too tough for that. Well, explaining it won't get you the point, but you were correct. <laughs> and that was a guaranteed steal for Jeremy. If it went. Oh, down. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But,
1: and I mean, you don't like me uh, explaining out the answer. I think I feel that's always like a, a, a great thing on a, on a game show.
0: No, uh-huh. I know. I know, but it was like, you were just, you were talking because as long as I keep talking, he won't tell me if I'm right or wrong.
3: You made uh, uh, it d- didn't bother me didn't bother me shout out frank's red
0: sauce <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right and we go to jeremy for round number five what the fuck shout out Shout out
1: to the, the animal the buffalo
0: oh uh, that too yeah okay well anyway sh- uh, shout out to jeremy and uh, no reason and half past and
2: what's up and not only that we should talk about frank's red su- red hot man you know the original company that made it? I do. Which
1: is that? Oh, isn't that Billy? What's his name from the King of Kongs? Like uh,
2: no. it was Durkey. Durkey was called. It was the company that originally made it. Was called Durkey. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's only people from Buffalo would know that, so never
3: mind.
0: Pepperidge Farm <laughs> remembers. <so what's> up? <laughs> okay, there's a No effect song about that guy. <laughs> That's Bob Turkey. Oh. <laughs> Point to Zach. All right, Jeremy, we go to you. Round five. On the 1987 Warzone 7 Inch Lower East Side Crew, how many band members are depicted on the front cover? I believe that's two. We go to Dan for the possible ah. steal. Dan on the 1987 Warzone 7 Inch Lower East Side Crew, how many band members are depicted on the front cover?
1: Well, I know you've definitely got Todd youth and rabies and the fact that he didn't get two, right. I'm just going to add someone and say three.
0: A steal. The champion steals again. What's up? And a shout out where it went podcast. Everyone listen to where it went. They go through the whole rev catalog. That was episode number one or maybe episode two. Maybe they did an introductory. Ben, do you know?
3: Yeah, I think they did an introductory, but they numbered it zero, zero, zero. So this was episode
0: zero, zero, one. Warzone Lower East Side Crew is our episode one Joe Revis. What's up? Two legendary things out in the ether. All right, Dan, round five. On the cover of the Betrayed Substance LP, it shows four band members on the cover. How many have facial hair? (laughs) None. Point to the champ. All right. It's
1: a posi band. They're not allowed (laughs) beards.
0: It's not the 90s, man. So what's up? All (laughs) right. We go to Jeremy. Round number six. This Western Massachusetts band put out a seven inch in 1983 on radio beat. If you had their name, you might need stitches. Deep wound. Point point to Jeremy. (laughs) Deep wound is the answer. And we go to Dan for your round number six. On the Clash LP London Calling, one song is a rhyme. What is it?
1: Song is a rhyme? Oh, you mean the song title is a rhyme?
0: Song title is a rhyme. Okay. Uh,
1: Jesus Christ. I've got to go.
0: Brand new Cadillac. Then there's... uh, God damn it, what fucking button? Is that good? I take- I think so? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope, but that was a good button. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> and you're getting saved right now. Oh, not that one either. God damn it, what the fuck? Jesus. <laughs> like every- I just think VD rules, dude. Oh, well, oh my God. <laughs> a point to stew. I can't
4: take this. <laughs> Pressure, it. Do it. Do it.
1: I up. I overthought it because I was thinking that you may have said Coca Cola, but it's Train in Vain. Point
0: but that chance. wasn't
1: that wasn't on the original
0: album, by the way. Oh, so blame Ben, our ESPN uh, fact checker guy. He did not catch that. No,
3: it is on the original album, but it's not listed because they recorded it after the covers were printed. But it is yep. on the original album.
0: Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, you get point five for that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to uh, the champion Dan Sant from Ireland. All right. Let's go to Jeremy for round number seven. The Integrity 7 inch in contrast of sin comes out on Victory Records in what year?
2: Uh, that would be 1989.
0: We go to Dan for the possible. Ah, oh, damn. <laughs> it's hard. Dan. The Integrity Seven Inch, in contrast of sin, comes out on Victory Records in what year? Nineteen ninety. He's the champ for a reason, Jeremy. Don't yeah, feel yeah hey. Don't feel bad. He knows how to do this. Okay.
1: Hey, I, uh, Jeremy. I only said nineteen ninety because you said ninety one. <laughs> like yeah, said uh, He
0: said eighty nine. Oh, he said eighty nine. Yeah.
1: Okay, well then,
0: <laughs> close enough. Yeah, I, mean, I was on
2: the cusp. I was on the cusp of saying ninety that's when I bought it, but I, 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 I was like, uh it, it had to have come out before. But it, I, I was wrong.
1: There was something that <laughs> in my head about that seven-inch anyway, just because of when we did the Clevo Super Sevens. It was discussed a lot.
0: Yeah, <laughs> about
1: about the sea change of sound. So
0: I knew it was like as the new decade began. For sure. Okay, Dan, let's go to you for your final question. In the Killing Time song backtrack. If you are the subject of the song who is taking steps, how many steps are you forward or backwards upon the completion of the song? So you've got to add up all the,
1: <laughs> is it like an equation? Um, I'm going to say one
0: you're one step backwards. We go to Jeremy for the possible steal. Jeremy, in the Killing Time song backtrack, if you are the subject of the song who is taking steps, how many steps are you forward or backward upon the completion of the song? Hold on.
1: Oh, now I've listened to the wording of the question. I get it. Oh.
2: Uh, You would be two steps forward. No points. Oh, it's
0: zero no, because no, no, it's four steps forward. Because yeah,
1: it's four. They say the chorus that many times. Yep. Yeah, but you said how many steps forward would you be by the end of the song, and that's zero because you would have been eight steps back. No, because so he, s- he says backwards. He says one step forward
2: three times before he says two steps back. So you're <laughs> always going to have positive one every time he says the chorus.
0: Oh, yep. He says uh, the four times, uh, and it's three minus two. And so it's yeah, one, yeah, yeah. one, one, four. Four steps forward and a point to Zach for that epic ass question. But uh <laughs> Ben, let's go to you for the total.
3: All right. Jeremy has a total of four correct answers, and the reigning champion Daniel has nine correct answers. Oh. Daniel maintains his Rush. crown. Yeah,
0: it was hard, but Jeremy, noble effort. Normally four points, it could get you a tie, might get you a win on Daniel's worst day. But Daniel <laughs> sl- Daniel Slade tonight. This was a, a classic performance from the champ. Although that blitz one I'm mad about.
1: Yeah. And Jeremy, you knew it. So if that had gone to you instead, you would have had that. Yeah,
2: they're, they're one of my favorite fans. I know that cover very intimately. Yeah, so, and he, so did he, i i
1: thought <laughs> right, <laughs> i knew it he, was a banner yeah
0: <laughs> he would have gotten the despair skill for sure so uh it could have broken a lot of different ways you know so but that's that thanks for listening guys and well
1: i mean jeremy made one step forward but two steps back <laughs>
0: <Hey>. <laughs> all right we have matt henderson from the eulogy and mad ball what's going on
4: Living the dream like we all are.
0: <laughs> That's what's up. I had a couple quick questions for you that I wanted to get out there. Yeah. Um, the tone on the song New York City on Set It Off is so wild. And like I've tried to recreate it, and I was like, what is this? Is he palm muting? Is there some effect? What is going on here?
4: <clears throat> yeah, the effect is um, a shitty Stock Jackson pickup with a built-in preamp that was broken um and which I, I really had no understanding of uh at the time and then uh combined with a pretty much stock Marshall jcm uh yeah jcm 800 uh and a tc electronics uh distortion
0: how do you like do you like how it came out though cuz like to me it sounds like the greatest thing ever, (laughs) you know?
4: (laughs) Um, Yeah. Without being long winded about it, um, there's things I like and things I definitely don't like. And um, the intention was different than the true end result. Right. Um, You know, if you, if um, uh, I've never really been very satisfied with the sound I've got on, any recording frankly up until the eulogy recordings and i credit that uh a lot to the engineer um in all cases right um and i apologize if that comes off in a way negative towards engineers i've worked with in the past um but you know i'm going to i'm going to definitely give a little kudos to paul miner uh, out here in in uh, Orange, California, at Buzzbomb Studios, uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have heard a lot of his recordings. Um, and I don't know, man, it's it's he, whatever he's doing in terms of mic placement, mic preamp, um, and and EQ, I, I I never feel the need to direct it, and the sound that I wind up getting through the recordings with him just sounds. Big, warm. It's got the pick attack I want. It's all there. Other recordings, I've always felt like I've always had the same vision in my mind in terms of what the sound should be: big, (laughs) aggressive, strong pick attack. But there was always some negative qualities to it as well, right? Whether it be too low mid range, too harsh on the high end. Um, I always thought the harshness comes from really aggressively pursuing that pick attack which, you know, that's a, to me, that's a Metallica influence, right? You know, that chung, chung, chung sound right. uh, that that is critical to me for heavy music, riff, guitar play type shit. Um, so back to set it off, right? That was the goal. Um, you know, we were working with an engineer that had history with Normandy Sound. Normandy Sound in the late 80s had some amazing sounding recordings for, uh, you know, mostly New York hardcore bands. Um, And there was a, you know, there was sort of the standard uh, setup that was used as a part of that, which did include Marshall JCM 800, the TC Electronics, and EMG, right? Um, My Jackson at the time had what looked like an active EMG pickup, but it wasn't. It said Jackson on it. It was stock from, you know, the factory. Um, And part of my thinking too was, I don't want I, – I never wanted to do exactly what everybody else was doing, right? So I'm thinking, eh, you know, here's a little little switch up on it, right? I'll, instead of using an EMG, let me see how this one goes. Um, but it kept making a lot of noise on me up to the recording schedule. So I took it to the local shop I was near in Boston, and the guy's like, ah, well, it's this preamp circuit board that's extra here within the, the circuitry. Let me just pull that out. You don't really need it. Well, found out afterwards that it really, really lowered the output and just I couldn't drive any amp as hot as hot as I should have with like an EMG. So um, the reality is, no, I'm not really satisfied. There is the pick attack there, and I attribute that to the um, partially my playing. I mean, I pick heavy um, because I want that attack. Uh, but also the TC Electronics Distortion Plus Boost, I think it's called. You can still get them out there. I don't think they manufacture them anymore. But that was, you know, that was known as a trick of the trade by Scott Ian back in the day. You know, AJ from Leeway. I know. Um, uh, gosh, why can't I? I'm having a brain freeze. A uh, Rob from uh, Rest in Pieces later in Biohazard and Helmet. Right. I mean, that was just a. A known thing uh but i don't know man i'll tell you this hoya and i and i knew it was a little cleaner sound than i would go for live right but i thought it's going to translate into the recording and you know my engineer is gonna you know he's gonna know what to do with this and make it big like all other normandy recordings and uh i remember being in the studio and was like yo you like this sound? I'm like, nah, it's going to work. Don't worry. I, I, I hear that pick attack. That's what I'm going for. Everything else is going to get sorted out in the mix was my thought. Bullshit. Um, <laughs> it, it just, it sounds it sounds fucked up. It sounds like it's broken. And well, so, it sounds like nothing else. That's well, that's, that's true. So if, if we can agree that that's a, a, a positive and I will, um, I'm, I'm good with that. And, you know, at the end of the day, what I'm really satisfied with in terms of the overall recording is it literally sounds like a bunch of knuckleheads that are just trying to be as aggressive and nasty as we can be um, in, a, in a well-equipped high-end studio and capturing that, you know, that essence. So from that standpoint, job done. Uh, and that seems to be what everybody really, really picks up and responds to. So my nitpicky little, you know, oh, you know, it's not quite the sound I was going for. I I have no problem looking past that and saying, hey, man, overall, it's got the attitude that it should have. And that's what people respond to. So I'm I'm cool with it.
0: Yeah. The, the other question I had for you today was in regards to basically cutting out soloing in Madball, because you solo when you're in AF, you solo in Blind Approach. But when you come into Madball, you guys decide to not do it at all because I don't think it's on anything that you play.
4: Um, Yeah, and it was a conscious decision uh, right at the start, right? If you – for me, right, um, I spent years kind of really mastering the craft of guitar playing, you know, to the best I could anyway. Um, That was my goal. Um, And I had a – you know – influences primarily being Eddie Van Halen. I mean, he was a guy that made me pick up the guitar to begin with. You know, I, I I listened to rock guitar driven music before Eddie Van Halen was, you know, on the radio. And then all of a sudden he was there and I know exactly how it made everybody rethink. And I was what? Eight at the time. Right. So um, I got in on the ground floor of that. And that's been a primary inspiration for me ever since and probably will always be a main component of my soloing style. But, you know, I'm, I just love playing guitar and playing solos and, and seeing, you know, trying to learn all the different things that everybody was out there trying to do. And it was a lot of fun. And then when I played in, in uh blind approach, you know, that was just kind of a continuation and, you know, other guys were playing solos and, I reached a point where I felt confident enough. So I was like, yeah, why not do it? And then when I joined AF, it's like, you know, obviously they had solos on every record prior to me. Right. So um, there was no reason for me to assume otherwise. Um, And I can tell you, honestly, I put a lot of work in trying to kick ass with the solos on one voice. And I'm, I'm proud of um, the performances there right from like a pure guitar player perspective sure uh, but it, there was a lot of there was a lot of you know dynamics there at that point in like hardcore for example i mean a lot of people today don't really know this because they weren't uh, a lot of a lot of people tell me their fans of one voice weren't actually around when that record was first released and it was not well received a lot of people thought it was too polished it was too clean it was too you know too whatever and it wasn't you know uh chaotic and nasty enough and i'd agree with that to some degree right uh so and then after af kind of fell apart in 93 based on a number of things and you know it's like mad is all about just being stripped down and real simple to the point of just beating you over the head uh Solos just didn't seem to fit in there, and I was a little—I don't know—just didn't seem appropriate, right? And that kind of became the Madball model. I'm, you know, years and years later now, right? With the Eulogy, I play solos again, and even before the Eulogy, I, I'd been asked by a lot of guys. Like the first band that brought me back into the solo kind of mindset was Terror, right? I did a solo for them on that song uh, "Only Death" on Keepers of the Faith. Um, it's like, cool, you know, can, I took enough time away from it. It seems like people actually do like solos. I, I like them still. Uh, and I, I figured out a way I feel to like make them more, a little bit aggressive and, and, and mean in a way that really fits what I think should be a part of hardcore, as opposed to just trying to play this elaborate solo that demonstrates guitar playing capabilities, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, I understand your mentality, but like, was there ever like an actual conversation with the other guys? Like, hey, we're going to have no solos. No. Or did this happen naturally?
4: Naturally. And it was my decision, right? I think if I, I'm pretty sure if I, you know, and I didn't explicitly state it, and I'm pretty sure if I would have suggested, hey, I want to do a solo in this song, in this part, the guys probably would have been fine with it as long as it, you know, sounded all right. Right. Um, it was not a conscious decision to not do it other than my own. It just – it didn't seem like it was the right right uh, component for Madball at that time.
0: What's up, everyone? We are back on the podcast and talking hardcore, helping out. You know him. You love him. It is the best dressed man on the pod. It is Daniel Sant. What's up, Dan?
1: What's going on? Uh, I mean, sorry, Ben. I didn't mean to say what's going on. How's everyone doing? There you go. Um, I am wearing a brand new Ramones t-shirt from um, the Boot Brigade. uh, uh, Shout out where it went podcast. It's a really awesome Ramones shirt, um, sky blue on black, and it's fantastic.
0: Also, you know him. (laughs) You tolerate him. It is Ben Merlis, a.k.a. Ben Edge, a.k.a. Bedge. What's up, Ben? What's going on? It's okay. We can both say that, I guess. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Uh, this week, we're going to do
3: question. What? I was just going to say, I'm wearing a seven-second shirt. That's all. Okay.
0: I'm wearing a tank top. Fucking, let's light the world on fire. All right. <laughs> this week on the pod, we're doing questions that were submitted by you listeners. So what's up? All right. First off, well, Dan, you start this off. All right. Someone asked, "What's the better pet, a cat or a dog?"
1: Um, well, I will say it. Go- it it breaks down to what your personality is. If you're someone like me who has the inherent need to be loved and and uh, you know have that mutual love going on, it's obviously a dog. A dog is the best. But if you're an independent, aloof person, maybe a nose held in the air, it will be a cat. But truly, the answer is a dog. Everyone knows it's a dog.
0: Well, peop- th- this is like a, a strange thing, right? Because most people consider like dogs more loyal than cats, right? But uh, cats won't tell cops where your drugs are. yeah. So that's what's up. Ben, you got an opinion?
3: <laughs> I have two dogs, but I grew up with cats and dogs. So I'm not, I'm neither a dog person nor a cat person. I am both. And I've always look, huh? You had all the luck. I did. Uh, and it's always trips me out when people are either one or the other. It's like, they're four-legged, cu- uh, you know, cute, furry animals. Like, they're not that different. You can love them both. Come on.
1: Of course. I, I mm-hmm. love cats, too. Don't get me wrong. Shout out, Muldoon. But look at Reggie. Come on. I mean, Reggie is just the is the final hammer of this argument.
0: Yeah. They uh, cooked up some special that day that he birthed through, through some loins. Yeah. All right. Uh when you hear someone say 108 do you think uh oh that's the total of my large iced tea at McDonald's or of a Krishna metalcore band
1: I will always think it is the Krishna metalcore band um they rule <laughs> and also are uh, the I would say the palate cleanser on the NYHC documentary you know it's a little bit dull it's it's a bit boring but it gives you that chance to breathe after laughing for consistently through the district nine parts hysterically um i think one o eight were a hell of a band and um victor cara and rob fish both are incredible showmen of uh being very passionate on stage
0: yeah, the LPS are cool, but that section on the documentary is bathroom break time. Ben, you think Ice T or you think uh, Krishna Metalcore?
3: I think Krishna. I guess they're kind of they're they are metallic. I wouldn't even call them metal. They don't. They're not metal enough to even be metalcore. I do like them a lot, which go which kind of explains how unmetal they are. Because if they were more metal, I probably wouldn't like them very much. My favorite one is Threefold Misery. That's the third album. That's on. It's an official Lost and Found release. It's like one of the few Lost and Found releases that's not a bootleg. Um, that rec- that record is amazing. It's so heavy and hard and like, man, these guys have so much anger in them.
4: It,
1: it is very metal. And that's where I think we can uh, say that
3: you pick and choose who's metal. <laughs> because it's really fucking metal. I guess you're right. Me. It's got that that killer of the animal with all the like the metal riffs going on. That's true. Yeah, I don't know,
1: super metal. And then even the parts where he goes like on deathbed, where he's like, "When you're not waking up," <laughs> those parts like are almost like proto System of a Down <laughs> to an extent. I don't know.
0: Well, Ben just thinks, "I love this," so there's no way it can be metal, right? Exactly. <laughs>
3: Yeah. It, it's it, you Damn, know what you maybe, maybe I'm more forgiving of bands that have a lot of fast parts. Maybe not though. Oh. I don't know.
1: I just think you pick and choose what you label metal and what what you label sucks because if something else had a different aesthetic, you may like the music more. But it, hey, it, it's the way we experienced things back then, you know. So you fell on the side of offense. Back then, that's, I think, why you don't give Earth Crisis the props they deserve. Anyway, Zach, you were about to ask something?
0: Yeah. Uh, Dan, do you remember your first punk show?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, My very first punk show, I mean, it's, it's difficult to say because yeah, no, it would have to be uh Fugazi nineteen ninety two old soma with three mile pilot opening. Um I was visiting uh the US, deciding if I was gonna live here and went with a couple of skater friends and uh it there is Well, there's so much that went on at this show. This is where I went up and asked uh, the members of Fugazi for an autograph, (laughs) which is really embarrassing looking back. But at the same time, it was amazing because Ian, well, Joe signed it awkwardly. Guy kind of just walked off. Uh, Brendan wasn't there. And Ian said, I don't sign autographs. Uh, And this is why. And then he proceeded to explain that I could easily be the person playing tonight and they easily could have been the people in the crowd and that there's no difference between any of us. And then this is me coming from regularly going to, you know, what seemed like non-major label, almost punk ethic shows in the UK, like in fields and stuff, um, seeing like the charlatans and, and James play like a anti-nuke, like for this, uh, English charity called CND playing this, um, anti-nuclear demonstration kind of benefit fest, not even a festival, but show, but it felt like, so, you know, not like a typical concert. Um, but, this was a whole new world. Like, this was insane. And then also when Fugazi came on stage, they they instructed the club to turn all the air conditioning off, and I don't know why. I mean, I think it was more just to heighten the insanity of the experience, I don't know. And then they played um Suggestion, and they were inviting people up to almost like sing the words, but also testify their own truths in regards to this, you know, um, topic of, of, you know, almost like a topic of the songs kind of about rape culture and about, um, you know, sexual harassment and, and all of that. And they were inviting, uh, men and women up, uh, to sing parts of that song. And like, almost testify and that blew my mind um and then that's kind of the night I decided after you know because I've I'd always refrained from drinking and smoking and stuff when all my friends were doing it back in England but that's the night like it was really explained to me and there were so many people x'd up at the show and it just from then on I called myself straight edge and it yeah it was incredible um, Three Mile Pilot uh, Paul Jenkins from that band was playing bagpipes at a pub, and I just was, my mind was also blown over that, I was just like bagpipes for punk, what the fuck
3: yeah
0: if I knew if this was going to be a detailed breakdown of a Fugazi show I never would have asked
3: I was going to say in before Zach says they don't count as a punk band
0: no they're a punk band It's not a hardcore band. Punk is a bigger umbrella. Ben, what was your first punk show?
3: Ramones, Greek Theater, August 1990. It was the Escape from New York tour. It was Tom Tom Club, Debbie Harry, and the Ramones. I don't consider Debbie Harry or Tom Tom Club punk bands. The Ramones pretty much invented it. It's debatable, but goddamn, they're foundational for punk music there's no getting around that and i met the ramones and i got my picture taken with them so there's a picture of a 12 year old me wearing a bart simpson cool your jets man shirt with the ramones standing behind me like towering over me so <laughs> it was awesome and they played blitzkrieg bop what more could uh, you ask for
0: dan does it count as a punk show if it's at the greek theater
3: if the
1: ramones are playing yes
0: you guys are crazy
1: <laughs> but but what I will say is that um, what or what I will continue to ask: what is the first DIY space show that you went into, Ben?
3: Um, that would probably be the Hong Kong Cafe, November first, nineteen ninety two. Decry, who I didn't get to see because I, I had, my friend's mom picked us up while they were playing. Um, FYP, Corrupted Ideals. The fumes, naked aggression, and I can't remember the last band, but that's that that was it. Um, that was awesome, you know. Being that close to the, you know, the stage at the Hong Kong Cafe was not even a foot foot high, probably six inches off the ground. So you're right there in front of the bands, and, and it was awesome. And when FIP played, Todd Conjulier just put the microphone in his mouth and just spazzed out and just jumped like into a table and knocked the table over. And I, and, and I was just like, fuck. Yeah, (laughs) this is everything I want punk to be. And we were, me and my friend were very aware that of the history of the Hong Kong cafe and, and how it had been this place where the germs and black flag played in 1979 and fear and all these foundational LA punk bands, this was where they played, and 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 we just thought, you know, we're standing in this hollowed ground, seeing punk music in, in action. Oh, the other band that played that night was Econo Christ, and they played a Germs cover. They played Media Blitz, and they played it so fast and hard that the only reason I knew even knew they played that song is because I looked at their set list and it said Media Blitz, and I'm like the Germs song, and they're like, yeah. <laughs>
0: Ben, what year did that club close? Do you know?
3: I believe summer of 94 because some skinheads lit a fire in it. It it was
0: above a Chinese restaurant.
1: Shit. Bummer. Yeah. Zach, how about you? What what was your first?
0: I don't remember, to be honest with you. I remember all the flyers that I could have gone to when I was like 15. Like when Joe's band would play like Burning Dog and stuff. They were playing around Ventura. But uh, I just had my first girlfriend, dude. And I was, like, mesmerized. <laughs> and then uh, <clears throat> it wasn't until we broke up that I started going to shows. And I never found true love again.
1: That's not true.
0: Oh, that's I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, I don't really remember. I, I was kind of a poser in the way that, like, I started a band. And I think that, like, the first couple shows I may have gone to were, like, the first couple in Doesn't Matter shows that we played like either in a garage or a backyard or whatever, you know, I
1: yeah, don't really remember. It's interesting. Ben brings up FYP. Cause that was like the second time ever I went to the Che was FYP. we playing with, um, Gehenna and, uh, a bunch of other bands for the winter noise fest. Um, And I remember just thinking, like, "Oh, this band is horrible." (laughs) But it there was so much more controversy anyway because Gehenna broke up that night, and I was like the young, like hanger on -er with with Don, and Don took us to Don Carlos afterwards, and we just sat there while Gehenna broke up all around us uh, because Mike Cheese had slapped Death Metal Dave from the Locust. He wasn't in the Locust at the time, but he'd slapped him uh, because. I don't know it was something about time time slots and who was supposed to play when, but I do remember Gehenna played Best of Times cover that night, uh, the Chain song, and it was fucking cool. And Gehenna were just brutal and amazing. And this was the first lineup where uh, Steve Miller was playing guitar, uh, playing drums, and uh, our friend Rich was playing bass. And to loop it back to my first show. Rich had bootlegged a ton of tickets for Fugazi at that Soma show and I just kept seeing people getting pulled out of line because they didn't have the like black light like official soma thing on the tickets. And so he'd sold maybe like a few hundred of them and so many people were getting kicked out of the line.
0: Well, let's circle back to Gehenna. Was this the night that Mike Cheese stabbed someone with a frozen taquito?
1: <laughs> no. That was yet to come.
0: Don't no, that, that never happened. I made it up.
1: <laughs> I, I, I would believe it happened.
0: <laughs> I think the rumor is a frozen hot dog somewhere, not a taquito at a uh, darn at Don Carlos.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. No, Don Carlos would never frozen. Always fresh.
0: That's right. Um, yeah, I mean the earliest show experience I remember. I've told it on the pod before. It's when I went and saw that death metal band play at Camro State Hospital, which was the. Uh, Dan, what's the appropriate word to use?
1: Um, home for the developmentally challenged.
0: Yeah, and a giant campus of that. Like, yeah. It's now California State University Channel Islands. It was whatever Dan just said, and it was wild. Um, but I've told the story, so hit those archives, people. Or uh, if you guys don't remember, hit me up. I'll tell it on Patreon.
1: What was your first first actual like concert where you got dragged by your parents or maybe you went alone, like mainstream shit?
0: Well, I remember being there, but I don't remember the experience. I think I just fell asleep right away. My parents took me to see the best uh, campfire music musician ever in 87, I believe, at Ventura County Fair, uh, which would be Santana out there for the people that don't know their campfire music.
1: I thought you were going to say Bradley Noel.
0: No, although I saw him when I was 16. So yeah, after I would attended a punk show, so, but yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, what current band could you see yourself being fanatical about if you heard them at age 17? Ben, do you have one that uh, stands out to you? Current. Ba- wait, say, say, repeat the question. Yeah. Name a a band that is currently out right now that if you heard them when you were 17, you'd be like, Oh my God, mind blown. This is my favorite band.
3: Well, I think like that band eco strike sounds like strife to me. And I liked strife when I was 17. So I guess by that logic, I would have really liked eco strike if I had, if that had come out and I had heard it when I was 17. But beyond that, I can't think of um, like a better answer. Like, maybe i don't know there's i definitely hear like 90s like the whole 90s hardcore throwback sound is pretty popular right now and i do often think it's more than just eco strike like all the time i hear bands and i'm like oh they're trying to sound like bands that came out in the mid 90s when i was a teenager and i completely would have liked this band when i was if i heard if they existed when i was a teenager and i do not like this now like i've I don't know if I've moved past that sound or you can only listen to, you just, you just get it at the right moment in in your life. And it's like a window and that window closes.
1: I think you're misunderstanding the question. Like, it's not like what would have been the sound of when you were 17. It's like what band, if you had the passion and the craziness of back when you were 17, that you listen to today, that you would go, I'm basing my whole, fucking lifestyle and record collection around this kind
0: of stuff yeah Dan do you have an answer
1: I would I would say coming off of that new Dare LP like I could I could see that really really igniting something in me at 17 but you know it's funny Ben mentioned EcoStrike I could also see that doing something for me or Inclination you know Inclination I think if I heard that You know, if I was seventeen now and that came out, that would be an incredible band. Thoughtful lyrics, um, straight edges, (laughs) fuck, and uh, really good songs. And like, but you know, it restraining order also is a band that I could see myself like just you know going everywhere to see if they were a local band for me at seventeen.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great answer, and I think that would apply to Ben too. Because Ben, that LP comes out, you're like forty. You love it. Imagine how much you would have loved it if you were seventeen.
3: Totally. Yeah, I I I agree with I buy that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of where I land. It's like anything that I love right now, I would have loved even more when I was seventeen. You know, because I loved everything then, even terrible stuff. Yep. You know, so I can't imagine how like yeah that Daryl P. I love it. That last Akulu LP, I love it. The Gulch yeah. LP, I love it. I don't maybe the Gulch LP would have been too much for me when I was 17. But the the dare and the Akulu, like, good God, man. Like, I w- probably would have based my life on them, you know?
1: Yeah, I could see something like Restraining Order or um even bands like the Chisel and stuff like that, where the melody is is a easier even though it's still aggressive and fucking crazy, the melody is that hook where the Akulu is a little bit of a slower burn on you, but once it clicks in your mind, then you're like, oh, this is my shit. Like, I'm down for this forever.
0: Yeah, but if you've already heard Age of Coral and Best Wishes, then you can definitely love that Akulu.
1: Yeah, definitely. But I would say at 17, those were harder to get into LPs for me than um i don't know seven seconds or something you know that that's just the way that my brain has worked is that the melody kind of kind of comes first you know it, that's why a lot of people our age came you know went by do that to do, 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 do i can't even do it went by the old epitaph sound smelly
0: is just shaking his head in disgust at that uh of course. that rendition
1: well that was the rendition when like Fat Michael jumped onto the drum set in the middle of me drumming <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. I like Michael. you too Dan I, 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 I didn't like Chromags or Leeway or whatever when I first heard them they took me a long time to get into those bands so maybe yeah. I wouldn't like Akulu by that logic I wouldn't like the bands that were influenced by the, those two bands that are out now that I tend to gravitate towards
0: we got that eggs Another Planet, like, tape around age 17, and it had uh, Age of Coral on one side and Best Wishes on the other side. I had and, it, uh,
1: too, but it, it was not being spun as much as, I don't know, um, you know. Well, that's the, you,
0: man. We're talking about my reality.
1: No, 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 for sure. I'm just saying, I, I'm i just adding on that I had it at the same time, and it just... It just was a there's something better about something taking a long time to get into because once you've acquired that taste you know i i can say this for a band that is you know very post-punk but almost punk um the fall initially like trying to get into the fall is is i imagine what it's like to drink booze you know lots of people say it's an acquired taste um, you end up not liking it at first. And I feel like some elements, especially of Best Wishes compared to Age of Quarrel, were like kind of like that. But once it clicked, it's like, this is the best stuff I've ever heard. And that's how I feel about the fall as well. Well, the, I
0: still uh, don't like Best Wishes. My point is, if you heard both of those and you were aware of them, and if you loved Age of Quarrel, you'd be ready for Akulu.
3: Yeah, of course. And I still can't right. get into the fall.
0: Yeah, yeah, and if uh, what it takes forever to get into is the greatest stuff, goddamn, when I'm 50, Husker Du is going to be the greatest thing in the world.
1: It probably will.
0: I know, I, I believe it. I'm looking forward to it, dude. Um,
1: Your slip you, is out. You like I
0: Jawbreaker,
3: so there's actually a, there's actually hope that that's a possibility, you know?
0: True, it's, but it is hard something. for me to make it through a full Jawbreaker record. They're like a track span for me.
3: But You know what's funny? Uh, and this is probably sacrilegious to say, Husker du's a tracks band for me. I, there, I, I can't think of, other than Metal Circus, which is an EP. Okay, so let's ignore that. Let's talk about LPs. I can't think of one Husker Do LP where I'm like, uh, you know, front to back bangers. I'm, I'm, I'm picky when it comes to that band too,
0: so. How about that? How about that? All right, the next question <laughs>
1: You know, can I can I just comment on that really quickly? The how about that is the, is the ultimate blow-off. I listened to some of these episodes back, and when I finish a point that probably is baffled on and waffled on for too long, and it just gets a, well, how about that? It's just like, moving on.
0: I love that movie Best in Show so much. Yeah. And it, it's like that vibe. Right? Like I love the commentators. They're so funny.
1: Oh. I'll go get Reggie a pipe and a Deerstalker hat. <laughs>
0: there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh next question asking the favorite interview uh you did, so I'm assuming me, but Daniel, you did uh what, Drain and Tsunami? Which one did you like more? And Gulch. Oh and Gulch, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've done a few plus you did a zine, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did, what's the uh, favorite
0: interview you did?
1: Um, th- I think the best interview that I've enjoyed on the pod is the one you did with Big Bob from Aggression. I just thought that was like those stories were wild. It was such a awesome one to listen to. And then uh, the one that I did out of those three that I enjoyed the most is Gulch Just by a Nose, just because um, Cole was so like interesting explaining the musical like aspects of the band. And then Elliot was a bit more guarded with the lyrics, but I feel like we got a lot out of him by kind of approaching it, showing that we really listen to them and and we're we're chopping up the lyrics you know
0: yeah elliot doesn't seem like a a very forthcoming person unless you kind of like chisel at it a bit yeah ben you've written a book you've written a bunch of stuff do you have a favorite interview that you've done
3: for for this podcast definitely lisa fancher she's the best she's so easy to talk to and she she's just does not hold back. It's like everything, like every ideal circumstance when you're interviewing someone is met with Lisa. Um and, you know, her path crosses with lots of my favorite bands ever. So, it's kind of like the perfect storm. Um
1: I will in- echo I will echo that interview you two did with her is just as up there with the Big Bob one and also the Rick Agnew one uh that you two tag teamed as well is up there. But yeah, continue about Lisa Fancher. I just wanted to co-sign that that is such an amazing interview.
3: Uh, yeah. And that might have been the first one that me and Zach tag teamed ever. And that might have been the first tag team interview period on uh 185 Miles South. Is that correct, Zach? Um I think so. Yeah, so it set the standard. Like we knew we could do that. I mean, we knew we could both two people could interview one person without s- stepping on each other's toes too much and, and, and compliment each other. So, yeah.
0: And it was nice. Cause you,
3: you did all the homework. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but I, but I, I did all the homework by fucking osmosis from being a fan of that music for, you know, 30 years or whatever. It wasn't, and being a, f- a friend of Lisa's for 20 years, so it, it was not difficult.
0: Yeah, for sure. My favorite interviews that I did are like, you know, the first handful because they were like the purpose of the podcast, right? Like once I was done with the first 20 episodes, you know, the the intent of the podcast was, was done, right? I mean, I've talked about the origin story of this podcast. I guess, Dan, am I, are we getting to that on another question? Well, I'll, I'll get to it there.
1: Yeah, I, I, I will say the um, Eric Ozine interview was really good too. I, I just I like the ones where the people are very forthcoming and you know very honest, or the ones where they really know how to spin a yarn and and it may or may may not hold all the truth. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Like the longer one was great. Cause it was just fun to have someone from uniform choice too. Yeah. So. That was
1: really good too.
0: All right. Who do you want to interview more than anyone? Um, I know the answer. Well, uh, go ahead and answer
3: Ben. Zach's answer is without a doubt, 100% Doug Moody, the owner and founder of mystic records.
0: Yeah. And that gets asked here several times. Um, he asking again any update on a Doug Moody episode and also any closer getting a Doug Moody interview. What else is a bucket list guest? So I will delete those as I think about everything. Um, Yeah, I need to get Doug Moody. I talked to him probably two months ago, the last time. And it's just, I think if, if you guys ever get to hear an interview with him, you will understand he's he's like just an old school guy with like a gift of gab that, that talks and talks and it's kind of hard to nail down. Um, and so when I reach out to him, we talk on the phone for an hour and then he calls me the next day, we talk for another hour. And then he calls me the next day, we talk for another hour. And the whole hour, I'm just trying to get him to agree to a time that I can record him and it never happens. And by the time we have those three conversations, I'm so burnt out from the process that I take a few months off and then I'm like, I need to do this because he's 93 and I need to get it done. You know, I hope he lives to be 110, you know, but the reality is 93 is, is getting up there. Right. So hopefully sooner than later, Dan, what were you saying?
1: 93 to infinity.
0: (laughs) Shout out souls of mischief. What's up? Um, Other bucket list people. I want to do, do bar. Of course. Yeah. And I don't know, like keep in mind, everyone, like I've only interviewed California so far, right? Every single interview has been someone based in California. So I'm going to stretch that out a little longer and then we'll open it up. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Also, like I've been enjoying doing the, uh, the more conversational podcast recently because there are so many hardcore podcasts right now. Like, like, you know, I'm not one of the first, so I'm not trying to like say that at all. But when I started this podcast, there was a lot less. And now there are so many and the majority of them are doing like the interview format. It's just kind of out there. And so like, I'll talk to a guest that I'm interested in and start scheduling. And then I see him pop up on like two other podcasts and it's just, it is what it is. It's great. I love everyone's story getting out there, but That's, that's the main reason that I've been shying away from it a little bit. Just, you know, when people start the podcast, they have so much fire in their belly and they're doing these awesome long interviews and they're kind of doing what I was doing before. Right. So now that there's someone like kind of taking up the, uh, the space, I'm trying to like exist in another space. So that's that, but I would love to do Pat Dubar while I'm still doing, uh, California and I want to do Matt Domino from infest. I've been in touch with him. We will do that at some point soon, as well as Clifford from Blast. Um, those are all big ones that I want to do, and we've been in touch with all of them. So hopefully they all happen. Dan, you have a bucket list of people?
1: Um, the Pat Dubar one would be really interesting. Uh, I, th- I would love to hear, you know, you always hear the other side of what it was like to work with Wishing Well. Um, I'd love to hear his version of things. And then I'd also just love to hear early OC defender of the scene stories. And and also uh, I'd love to really hear a lot more about the production choices on uh, Screaming for Change. I don't know. I think that would be fantastic uh, if we're still keeping it within California. You know, I'd love to hear... Someone else, uh, maybe like Todd or Steve from Unbroken, for just another perspective on my favorite stuff. Um, And then if it was going, if we're going outside of California, well, you know, can't can't beat uh, speaking to Ian Mackay.
0: Yeah, one other uh, one other interview I really want to do is I want to do the Zeros and i was in touch with them maybe a year or two ago like kind of close to the start of the podcast and they're a 1977 punk band out of chula vista california yeah so it's like that legit first wave shit which is like rare to get and so i want to get that on here ben do you have a bucket list of people you want to get on the pod
3: any anyone who was in minor threat and i've i've heard all five of them interviewed on podcasts and they're all very fascinating, very intelligent people. And, and it, I think it's, and I, and I try to piece together and visualize like, okay, I've heard all these five people, these five people talk individually. Can I imagine them 40 years ago in a van together, like basically screaming at each other, like not getting along at all? It's like, of course they're so, they're all such strong headed people. Um, but any, any one of those people would make a, a great, for a great interview,
1: you know who else would be quite good or would be amazing to listen to would be like uh Dr No or Daryl Jennifer or Earl like that would just be so cool to hear the perspective of those people from everything they had to. You go through and then hearing about the move to New York and all of this stuff and and then potential, you know, I mean, the documentaries show you some things, but I would really love to hear, like, on a personal note, stories from them.
0: Yeah, right on. That would be great. Um, we will get to everyone, maybe, if I don't <laughs> quit first. Um, let's see. I'm going to jump ahead a couple questions and I'll circle back because I have this one queued up. Someone asked, what is the ill repute kicked off the bus story? Uh, this is a reference to a song that is on their, I believe, 1997 album Bleed. And you know, I had to consult with episode one, the legend Joe Revis to get those facts. All right. Joe says, ha. The Bus Radio Station, so it's actually B-U-S-S, not actually a bus like uh, you're taking public transportation. The programming director was a dude named Aaron Stipkovich, who also fancied himself as a recording engineer. He recorded no motive and ill repute demos for Cynical and Bleed. They hated them. The dude got mad and told Tony he'll never get play on the bus. There is more detail, but I can't remember off the top of my head. So there you go. And I remember we used to uh this guy kinda used to be in the Nard vernacular. Like, hey, Aaron Stipko. And uh I think he put out a CD comp at one point. You, uh, like, good luck tracking it down. But uh yeah, I don't remember anything about it, except it might have had like a no motive demo on there for some era. And I think maybe Josh Ortega and Todd Jones' band good for nothing. But uh I can't really remember. But yeah, so hopefully that answers your question. And moving on, uh, someone asked us, what is the best show you ever attended or played at the Showcase Theatre? Dan, let's go with uh, Attended first.
1: (sighs) Um, Attended, I know the one that just sticks out in my mind just because the lineup was so sick and it was... uh, really just an amazing uh, thing probably was good riddance AFI strife sick of it all in 96
0: January of
1: 97. Oh 97. Okay. Yeah. That was incredible. Sick of it all just put out built to last. So the set list was, you know, a few of those songs and then just absolute like, amazing stuff from the first three LPs and I think that's before they became so well seasoned as a live act that they you know incorporate things in the set like making two sides of the you know crowd run at each other and all of that which is great when you're playing those big places and it's a good way to get the crowd in the palm of your hand but they were still just a club band at this time
0: Right, Dan. Uh, yeah, it's before but, they became like a perennial, like barrier band.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and Good Riddance were incredible. Uh, AFI, I wasn't. I, I've never been the biggest fan, but they were very good. And then at Strife. It was you know just after. Um, what's the second LP called? My mind just went blank.
0: In this defiance.
1: In this defiance, yeah, it's just right after that. And, uh, they, I mean, it was their backyard, so they were just, oh God, now I'm thinking the California takeover though is just up there as well. Um, oh my God, if I had to choose between the two, I don't know. I, I think I was more passionate for the California takeover show, but I was, uh, probably, a lot more boisterous and upfront and, and singing along and all of that at the sick of it all show, even though I was up front for earth crisis, but that was about it at the takeover. Both and of those it, were amazing.
0: And I just want to clarify for people out there. That's kind of like a, a well-known fun fact. Like as people re- refer to the California takeover and think of the show at the whiskey, because that's the one that is documented on the record. But there was actually another show at the showcase as well, where they it was like a night one, night two, like a Friday, Saturday, Dan. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And apparently the showcase one was the the better of the two. Um from the people in the bands, they say that.
0: But Well, the showcase is a way better club than the whiskey.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. Um
0: I was at the whiskey then, show.
1: Best show played.
0: Well let's let's do let's okay. do all our favorite shows attended. Yeah. Ben, you have a showcase show that stands out to you? Uh,
3: I just found the flyer online. Saturday, July 26th, 1997. Battery, eyelid, 10-yard fight better than a 1,000. Um, and the reason I think that is a significant show is because it was like, kind of like, I got into straight edge hardcore. I probably told the story on that second wave youth crew um, episode. So go back and listen to that one. But base, long story short, I, I got into all these like 80s straight edge bands in like 91, which is like the worst time to get into those bands is right after they broke up. So I waited the longest for, for a band like 10 Yard Fight to come along. And when they started, you know, it was just like, it was like game on. Everyone just went nuts. And it was like, finally, like the shit I'm into. I can be a part of it now, like it finally like that everything has connected and it's and it's led up to this point okay now we can start so that's that's my and and battery was great too yeah,
0: yeah I was at I was at both those shows the the sick of it all one that Dan refers to and the battery tenure fight that Ben refers to I think that battery one is my favorite as well the battery tenure fight and the reason is this, like the showcase might be the best club for like hardcore because I don't know. It's just like, it's like the arena. It's like the main event. Right. And a lot of these bands would come out and I I would go see them in every town. Right. Tender fight comes out. I'd already seen them at the pickle patch. I'd already seen them. Like where else they play PCH San Diego, you know? And then it's like, okay, but the showcase, like that's the big one. Cause the showcase was gnarly. Like, there was a lot of people packed up front and like, if you didn't stage dive, well, you could get rejected and fools would just get <laughs> stranded on stage, like trying to jump off it and just kept getting rejected. And like, he'd be laughing at him and shit. And then like, if you're not packed up close to the stage, like there's dudes like jumping from the area behind, like the next little level up off that little, uh, like banister thing. Yeah. You know? And it was just like, it was chaos and gnarly. And like, I don't know. It, it seemed huge, but it probably wasn't. And there was this, like, it felt like there were so many eyes on you that like, if you are going to stage dive, it was like your proving ground. Like you better fucking do it. Right. It was like high pressure and, and it's awesome. Like I remember thinking about it. Like I'm going to stage dive to this song. And then like, you're trying to get up the guts to like climb a front or ask someone to like, you know, put their two hands down so they can give you a little boost. so You can get up on stage. And then like, you're up there, you got to do it. And you want to time it just right. So you like, jump over the first dude in the front and then turn around and hopefully get like the mic passed to you it was just like i don't know it was almost like a sporting event you know just getting yourself like hyped up for it and then hoping you perform but uh i don't know did you ever get that feeling dan
1: yeah i was never a stage diver i was always stage dived on um but yeah i definitely rejected many people <laughs> um do you know what's crazy about the showcase is like yeah, those are the two shows like that are packed lineups that I could say. Uh, but I was at the one that you two were talking about, and it was awesome. And we were heckling the shit out of Ray Capo because he was doing this like 10-minute like yoga stretch on stage during their intro, and it was just so corny. Um, but that's also because it's the first time I'd really seen him out and about since his, you know, I'm coming back to hardcore type thing, you know, post shelter mantra. Um, I would say there have been a couple of just sets like that have been amazing at the time too, and also if you saw a throwdown in their pump at showcase, that was epic. Even if you necessarily aren't necessarily into the music, like just the. And, you know, it, it looked really bad if you didn't know what the crowd was doing because, you know, Throwdown's mosh parts were all, like, on the China symbol. And the crowd would do this arm motion like they were hitting the China for the thing, and it just looked like a room full of people Zeke Island <laughs> during uh, Throwdown mosh parts. It was like, what? <laughs> um, but I would say, did Ben, were you at the show that was Snapcase and Refused?
3: No, I never, the, I, ne- I never saw Refused.
1: Okay, that's one of the, the sets where just a single band, I was just like, oh, my God. Like, he did this, Dennis, the singer, did this thing where he jumped up on the drum riser and he was facing the drummer, and then the music cuts on the, on the song. He threw the mic over his head backwards, turned around, did a youth crew jump, caught it, And started screaming when the music came back in. And I was just like, holy fucking, that's like, you know, some amazing Mick Jagger shit. And then that
3: that dude practiced in the mirror, you could tell.
1: Oh, but it, but it, it, I, I was impressed. And then I'm sure, Zach, you were at this show, but when Mad Ball came back for the first time, like after, I think after Freddie was out of jail and they played and they opened with Set It Off. And someone like I think three people went off of where the merch is upstairs on the upper level, like doing flips right as set it off like came in. It was fucking crazy.
0: Yeah, also another standout band that would play there kind of in the way that Daniel was talking about throwdown, when Death by Stereo was at their peak. Oh yeah. It was out of this world. And they're a band that I always listened to and knew they were great. And then I would see them and I was like, oh, my God, they're even greater. And they just never resonated with me. I never got into it. But like, good God, time and place like Death by Stereo showcases like apex level shit. Um, And then another one off that I thought of, which is kind of funny because it just. It kind of just shows how much I loved hardcore in like whatever year this was, probably 98, 99. Uh, I went and saw that band Grimlock play there which is funny because I saw him like the night before at the pickle patch. And then I was like, I got to see it again, dude. What's up. (laughs) And now this is like a band. I just don't even listen to anymore, you know, but that guy was a wild man. And I remember he like ran up to like that upper section where like the merch was, and then like climbed down from it, like head first. And then just, he was a giant buff dude. And after every, every song ended, he would like, you know, put his fist in the air and just yell, fucking, Hey,
3: I was there.
1: (laughs) I saw that. (laughs) <laughs> I'd say best show played might have been the adamantium last show it was just such a uh, I mean it was sold beyond belief like the show was like mega 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 sold out like they just packed a billion people in it and what was really cool is like you know instead of saying fuck California like we enjoyed being part of the indecision family as well as playing all of the PCH shows with all of our, you know, more sound alike bands. So we always got over with, you know, the crowd that liked the heavier stuff just because, well, I think I think it was something to do with the, f- well, we were probably a bit catchy and like Poppy, but I think it was just because how edge we were perhaps. Uh, but we yeah. always went over and that show was awesome.
3: Maybe it also because Rob was in the band and all those OC metal dudes worshipped Unbroken.
1: Yeah. Could could well have been that too. Um, but I know the In Control best show is when they uh, covered Gigi Allen and got the lights and power turned off on him when Ryan got naked.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's like an era of the band I wish uh, I could go back on and – and remove, you know, not the cover, but like the nudity thing is, I don't know, it's kind of gimmicky, I think, you know, but it was like so much of hardcore was so like rigid and well-dressed and groomed at that point. Like we wanted to be a little punk and wild, you know,
1: and, and I definitely think you were. And also you were covering GGL and so we did a GGL thing. It was more just you know, tongue in cheek it, but, but that set was epic. Like you played so good that night, you know, I mean, you, you lot played really good. Most nights, you know, uh, that I ever saw you, I see was one of my ultimate favorites of that era.
3: That's one of the cool things about Nardcore is that Nardcore never, re- never removed itself from punk. Like, a lot of those OC kids in the late 90s, like, you know, they never f- heard of fucking, you know, negative approach record or whatever, Sex Pistols record, just anything punk and old. Like, they were, they were like metal kids and like, NARCORE wasn't like that. It was like, they, I, I get the impression that like, no matter how old you are, if you're a NARCORE kid, you, you know who aggression and Stalin 13 and ill repute are like, you know, your shit, you know, your past. Or am I giving uh Nard too much credit? You tell me, Zach.
0: No, you have to, otherwise we won't pick you up in the pit. Hey yo
3: <laughs> I would I would say
1: Oxnard and Chula Vista are the are the scenes that have their past on a on a rightly so on a pedestal, you know? It is lineage passed down as you start to go to local shows you're gonna understand who the, the pillars were. You know, like well, all the Chula, younger Chula kids will always know who Amenity is.
0: They're legit like bizarro world cities. You know, like Seinfeld, they have the diner and then they have that bizarro diner. Dan, what's the name of it?
1: It's... Uh,
0: Come on. Think about a furry friend.
1: Yeah, it's Reggie's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Gildy yeah. works at Reggie's.
0: Right. So it's like, that's Chula Vista and Nard. Like they're literally like almost the same. If you include like... East Lake plus Imperial Beach, you know, like that whole spread is basically off-starred without like the fields. You know, It's pretty wild. Ben, do you have a favorite time you played the showcase?
3: No, I mean we've probably only played there a couple times. Actually, you know what? There, um, bad reaction. My band, bad reaction, played the showcase. We played the second to last show ever there. And when the show was over, you know that bicycle that was hanging from the ceiling? I don't know if you remember that. Yes, there was, I
1: remember it because I was always, like, what the fuck is that thing doing up there?
3: They had a fucking
1: UGI the Fridays.
3: They had a U- They had a U Haul in the in the back where, you know, the bands loaded in and they took the bicycle off the ceiling and were just throwing like anything a- anything that could fit into that U Haul. Like they were dismantling the club. And I wanna say the the very last show was the very next night and that would have been um Death by Stereo. Um but it was cool to pull to play almost the last show ever at the showcase and know that an era was coming in. And I want to say that was 2008 if I had to guess. Um, but those bad reaction went, we played with like a lot of spiky haired punk bands and, and went over really well. Fields of fire never went over that well at at showcase. We only played a couple times.
1: Do you know what? Surprisingly as a show, we went over really, really well with the crowd, but you never would have thought was, uh, we played with Tiger Army at the showcase, and it was super packed. And people were like pretty into us. We sold a ton of merch, and then Creep Division played after us, and they got coins thrown at them from the Ugh. rockabilly crowd, Ow. like tons of coins thrown at them.
3: Uh, Fields of Fire played with Tiger Army at showcase too, and and it was like we wasted our time playing that show. And Tiger Army sold thirty thousand dollars in merch. It was ridiculous yeah
0: uh can zach start doing bong rips again during interviews uh i was never doing a bong rip what it was look i have my drink right here it's like the same sound it's just like a. it's a metal camping cup and i'm drinking spindrift sparkling beverage over ice so uh that's the sound. Some people thought that I was doing bong rips during the Andrew Klein interview, and no, I was drinking Spindrift out of a metal camping cup. So uh, sorry to crush that rumor. It's but, not uh,
1: always just Spindrift, though. There's a few, maybe something added with it sometimes, right?
0: Dude, not when I'm talking with you guys, man. I'm just trying to blend in to the, uh, the Straight yeah. Edge crew. What's up? Um. Okay, favorite pi- power violence bands. Do you guys have any?
1: um if ceremony counts uh i really love that band i love i love all the eras and sounds that they've done um i really love the first locust 10 inch uh split with man is the bastard and then the first full length lp and the 7 inches around that time the gsl years essentially um but that's like extreme power violence uh But, you know, of course, Infest.
0: (laughs) Right. Ben, you don't like any power violence, right? Correct. Yeah. I'm a poser of the genre, just like I am of uh, death metal, black metal, trip hop, and many other genres (laughs) that I love certain bands. Uh, I like Infest. I like Crossed Out. I like, I don't know. I liked Spaz for a minute. I like the Ceremony record the violence violence i don't know what else i also get confused like what is power violence what is grindcore? yeah <clears throat> um
1: scholastic death would you count them as power violence or are they more just straight ahead like dirty sounding hardcore done by the power violence dudes
0: i don't know they suck
1: i like that demo well,
0: max ward gave in control a bad review on mrr so know, he, he can fuck himself <laughs> you know we're 20 fucking years old, just trying to do the thing, dude. Fuck you. Plus, fuck MRR, period. But also, um, you
1: send your shit in to be reviewed. Like, if it comes back as a bad review, it it, it, it is part of the game. But, you know, we, we handle things differently on 185.
0: Right. I mean, yeah. And from all accounts, the dude is a very sensitive person. It yeah. didn't take criticism very well. So check yourself, dude. You know, we're just doing our best and there's, I don't know, whatever. Like, yeah, okay. That was a silly tangent to go on. Hey, I'm not mad. It's, it's 20 years ago.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, okay. Let's wrap this up with this. Did straight edge ruin hardcore? <laughs> Dan, I know your answer. What's up?
1: X, no.
0: X <laughs> right. Ben, contextualize this one a little more and give your answer.
3: I can't even wrap my mind around the question. Like the like, so my I mean, Minor Threat is so close to the beginning of hardcore that it's like, so anything that happened in hardcore before Minor Threat put out their first seven inch was that was that good? And then they came along and ruined it. It was like,
0: no, uh, I, I think that like you're not really counting that. It's like did. I don't know, because that's like so early, right and and straight edge bands they weren't living like minor threat, right okay. um well, let me addre- the- I'll address it, and you guys can go off what I say,
3: okay,
0: at least in California, actually, you know what like so the United States and maybe punk in general, like the late eighties are kind of a weird time, you know, and without straight edge hardcore it is a really rough time. You know, like there are certain like hardcore punk bands that put out good LPs in the late eighties, but not as many as like what the straight edge bands do, right? Like, um, uh, final conflict. They put out a LP in 87. That's great. RKL puts out an LP in 87. That's great. Um, but, but, the straight edge hardcore bands, like all that rev shit. Like that's some of my favorite music ever. And like, like ever, ever. So I don't know how we could say straight edge somehow ruined hardcore. In fact, like other than like tentpole New York hardcore bands, I think it is the best hardcore. That's interesting.
3: I mean, it's impossible for me to be objective because I'm a straight edge kid. And, and, I think a lot of it has to do with, well, no, I was a straight edge kid before I even knew that straight edge was a thing. But I mean, I'm sure me loving those bands helped me, you know, stay straight edge. That had to have an, an impact on me. Like if you, if late eighties was also a big time for crossover, you know, COC, the accused, uh, DRI, like bands like that. So if you're into that, then I guess the late eighties is cool. You can ride that out, but you're right. As far as like fast hardcore is concerned, it's the straight edge bands keeping that shit alive for the most part around that time. So, whatever. I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, like, who sounds the closest to victim and pain and negative approach? It's like the straight edge hardcore bands in the late 80s. You know, like they're doing it. Dan, what's your take on this now?
1: What is hardcore? Hardcore is a sound, but it is also an undeniable feeling and community right what has helped spread this all over the world to be an inclusive and exclusive thing throughout time since the minor threat seven inch straight edge it has enabled lots of people to make friends all over the world simply because of Being a hardcore kid and a straight edge kid. Now, you can say that hardcore, just being a hardcore kid, might have done that, but there is something a little bit extra that happens. It's very (laughs) hard to vocalize, but, you know, if you find out like person B in Sweden is. A straight edge kid, and you are too, you already know you've got something just one step further in common. And also hardcore is about passion. And this is a passionate response and a hardcore response to the world of drugs, alcohol, etc. of saying no. And it is a very hardcore thing to do. So there is no divorcing the power of straight edge from hardcore. And there's no divorcing the history of hardcore without straight edge. Like they are woven together. And yes, some people may think at certain times straight edge kids have, you know, ruined hardcore. I imagine if I was going to shows in 1994 in, in Salt Lake city with some of the, stuff that was going on there. I'd probably be like, man, these strange kids need to fucking chill out. Like they're ruining everything, but that's just the same thing that is being done by skinheads. at other shows and whatnot. You can't just pick out these like small individual exhibit, a exhibit B of, of moments where things have been ruined because the lineage of what you two have just described of some of the greatest hardcore records, and in my opinion, the greatest hardcore records, are straight-edge hardcore. Like, there's something innately hardcore about a straight-edge hardcore record, because when you look back at some of them, and the people have all sold out, that is part of the legacy and lineage of straight-edge hardcore also. And that's what sets up the next generation of like, delivering their own songs like Let Down, etc. You know? I think it's an incredible thing and I- I'm incredibly proud to be Straight Edge, but I can also see how some people in the name of Straight Edge have have run people off or made people feel bad. And I think that's awful. I mean that's what the Over My Dead Body song Drug Free Adult is about. It's like, yo, you come in here talking all this and you're gone the next year, but you already ran 10 people away that will never come back because you were just awful in the name of this thing, which is supposed to be positive. Straight Edge has ruined hardcore, and hardcore could never be what it is without Straight Edge. They are just married. you know.
0: Yeah, did Straight Edge ruin hardcore? Definitely not. Did Straight Edge ruin hardcore conversation? Possibly. (laughs) Because there's nothing more boring than hearing Straight Edge people talk about Straight Edge. What's up? But well, what about so that this? Was just
1: boring. What I just said. I don't think so.
0: No, we've we've talked it plenty of times. I have this. Uh, I pose this question
3: to you, Zach. It in the way that we both agree that um, straight edge hardcore bands saved hardcore in the late '80s. Would you say that straight edge bands also kind of, sort of ruined hardcore in
0: the early '90s? Well in in what way like are you just talking about like the hardline stuff that, like Dan was referring to in Salt Lake
3: well the stuff that that stuff's inspired by like like you know well, like eater earth outspoken. crisis playing metal at playing playing like really bad slow metal music with
0: intolerant lyrics i i don't know earth crisis earth crisis firestorm i love it it's one of my all time favorites outspoken their whole catalog is one of my favorites unbroken Second LP, Last Two, Seven Inches, some of my favorites. Like, the Straight Edge thing keeps going. Like, Undertow, love it. You know, like... You're you right. Know, I, I agree. I like those, all those bands, too. didn't ruin anything. Plus, like, maybe those bands got too serious, like, in a way, but not to me, because I want this music to be, like, very serious. I want there to be a message involved, right? Well, like, I, I don't... Like,
1: a band with Earth Crisis's message, and yeah, you, you say it is very... um intolerant, but at the time, look what they were being met with. Like people throwing yogurt on them and, and fucking like throwing chicken bones at them at shows and stuff. And like really trying to rile them up about it. It's like,
0: but on that, Dan, what came first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs>
1: um,
0: or the egg that got thrown on Carl's face. I'm
3: just kidding. I don't know if that happened. That was a yogurt,
1: but you know, it, that would never ruin hardcore. And that has made the world to certain hardcore people throughout the time. That's their best era, best band and everything. So who are you to say that it ruined it? You know?
0: Yeah, I I agree. And I also think that like Dan's example of the Salt Lake city stuff, like Knuckleheadism comes in many forms, you know, and you can't always like attribute it to like an, an ideology that people latch onto. Like, Sometimes it's just knuckleheads being knuckleheads for the sake of being a knucklehead.
1: Yeah, and you know? they just have a, they just have a a flag to put it on. Also, the thing is, what makes hardcore kids hardcore kids, and what also makes straight edge hardcore kids straight edge hardcore kids, is you take this, what is in our inner world, and we apply it to the outer world as well. You know, there's a level of distrust of being you know force fed government all of this stuff being told you know what to do there's always just like a question everything because there's a there's a healthy level of cynicism that comes with kind of having your eyes opened by hardcore you know
0: yeah and most importantly just do it yourself right like don't sit around wait for other people to do something if you want to see it happen make it a reality be the change you want to see people. And uh, all right, there's a ton more questions. We're going to take it over to Patreon. Everyone go to 185 milesouth.com. There is a playlist for every episode. And also all our links are there for the social media and so forth. Uh, smash that Patreon button. There are extra episodes every month. And uh, yeah, we're going to finish up over there because we've gone for over an hour doing questions and we probably will just do another hour there. But uh, everyone, we'll talk to you again on Monday. Thank you so much for listening.